You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators. Declared the John Stewart of Egypt, Bassem Youssef created the most popular TV show in Egypt's history, an incendiary satire news program that retold the events of the 2011 Egyptian Revolution and the fall of President Hosni Mubarak while taking jabs at Mubarak's successor, Mohamed Morsi. So potent were Youssef's skits, jokes, and commentary that he was accused of insulting the Egyptian presidency and Islam's name, leading to a 2013 warrant for his arrest. Despite turning himself in, Youssef was interrogated for six hours before being released on bail, which prompted his American idol, Mr. John Stewart himself, to issue a statement for Yusuf on an episode of The Daily Show. Though Yusuf's case was eventually dismissed, his TV show was terminated and Yusuf found himself fleeing Egypt for fear of his own life. Revolution for Dummies, Laughing Through the Arab Spring is available wherever books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. I have many questions. My first is, what are the five warning signs of a heart attack? Um, all right, five warning signs. So chest pain. Yes. Uh, radiating to the neck, the shoulders, uh, sometimes to the epigastrium, sometimes radiating to the back. Could be headache, could be dizziness, could be... Um, or you can just call 911. And why <laughs> Why would I have asked that question? I thought you were asking me this question as a part of a Jeopardy contest. Were you, were you worried I was going to have a heart attack? I was kind of... Um, I was a little bit jittered for a while. <laughs> So, of course, your story, and correct me if I've got this wrong, but I, I hope I don't because I just read the book, is that you were a heart surgeon in your real previous life before changing the world through uh, comedy. And you started by helping the protesters. Is that right? Yeah, I was one of many doctors in the square helping the wounded during the clashes when the January 25th uh, happened, the revolution in Egypt. I didn't think that I would have any career in entertainment or media. And I was just doing my job, just another doctor in the square. Uh, this is how it all started. And even when the revolution ended, I didn't think much of it. Uh, it what happened later that kind of changed my life. So tell us, please, about that. I uh, started um, a series of YouTube videos satirizing the uh, media in Egypt that were brainwashing the people and uh, trying to convince them that this is all uh, an external conspiracy. All of these people are paid and uh, it's not a real revolution and those people in the streets are a bunch of paid operatives, sex mani maniacs, uh, alcohol uh, addicts, and um, I made fun of that. And I didn't think at that time that those videos would be picked up. I thought that um, uh, I was just killing the time until I come back from Cleveland because at that time I was accepted to work in Cleveland as a fellow heart surgeon in pediatric heart surgery. And um, uh, little that I knew that a uh, few weeks later I would be having my first uh, TV deal. So you have a television show and it's watched by 30 to 40 million people, correct? Yes. And I there is a recent um, documentary made about your life, and I saw a clip that where a woman said that after watching your show, people now understand democracy. Um, I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, of course. Uh, 
simple people are very passionate. I mean, I, I cannot claim that I uh, taught people about democracy, but I think what they meant is it is okay to speak up against authority. That was missing in yeah. the in the field in the in in the, in the space of uh, Egyptian democracy or politics. Uh, we have um, a very patriarchal society where you cannot speak against your father, your boss, your headmaster, your teacher, and of course your leader, your president. Mm -hmm. And uh, to come up not just to speak against them, to make fun of them, yeah. to hold them accountable, that was uh, very new. Right. And I think that you've talked about how through this process and through the show, you sort of turned these corrupt leaders from God's to humans and then made those humans look a little bit foolish and and that was part of the the power that was used to transform people's thoughts about it yeah i mean that is satire i mean all the, the leaders are only transformed into gods if they think they are you have um leaders with uh, security issues think of themselves as uh higher than others just because they are in a in a, in a leadership position they don't they don't understand that they are basically public servants yeah, they don't understand the word servant. Servant, and yeah. they are public figures. Right, that they are there, but because they have that much power, this power comes with a price. It doesn't come with uh, advantages as much as it comes with disadvantages of being uh, criticized the whole time. Because you are elected to do a certain job in uh, certain countries, many countries in the third world, and it seems that America is following suit. People who come to power think that this is a privilege and they demand uh, respect and fear. S satire does exactly the opposite. Mm. It takes away that fake respect. It takes away that uh, air of fear. It makes them vulnerable and they hate that. They, they get pissed it. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you piss them off, tell us what then happened. Well, they uh, first try to belittle you as satirist or comedian. They call you a fool, a clown, or a joke, and in the process, they themselves turn into fools. They become the clowns, and they're the one who it, uh, turns into a joke. So tell us about the hat that got you in trouble. There was a hat uh -huh. that you describe as the most iconic prop piece in Arab TV history. Yes, this is like this was like a hat that is, was half my size and I wore over my head in an attempt to satirize the former President Morsi when he was receiving an honorary degree from Pakistan. And he wore, I, we thought that he was wearing a funny hat. So we blew it up 10 times, maybe 20 times. And I just like went into that stage wearing the hat. It was very heavy. I mean, my neck was almost snapped under the weight of this hat. And uh, it was, we did it in good faith. I mean, you know, we we didn't think that like that will uh, cause us a lot of trouble. But I think it was not just the hat. The hat was just the, the cherry on top. It was the other, it was basically me coming out every week and making fun of everything that he says. And um, uh, eventually, I was accused of insulting Islam, of course, because if he's a, an Islamic leader, so of course he represents Islam. I was insulting, insulting the president, uh, spreading rumors. And uh, I don't know, yeah, there disturbing was the peace, yeah, which is very and vague. Did you think that insulting Islam? Did you did you think that that was the the 
the most difficult to sort of defend because it was yes because slipperiest and you want, most you, elusive. You want to to be sensational. You have to bring religion or national security in it. So insulting Islam, insulting the army are the two things that is difficult to defend. And of course, uh, standing up for porn or standing up for sex over alcohol, all of these deviant. Uh, uh, horrible traits in the society. You cannot defend this, so it's the same. This is this is why uh, they want to drag you down into this path to make it very difficult for you to defend yourself. I'm interested that you said you know you, you did your work in good faith. When did you start to feel worried that this good faith and this effort that you were making could have you know really serious consequences for you and your family? Um. Strangely enough, I never thought of uh, about my safety. Really? Yeah, I had one um, one thought in mind the whole time: how to make a good show. Really? Because if you do a bad, a bad show, that will be more more. I mean, if you get arrested, you're a hero. But if you if you make a bad show, you're just doing a bad show. If they uh, if they cancel your show and it's good, they cancel a good show. But if you cancel because if you're bad, it's just another bad show that's off the air, right? Right. So the, to the degree that the night before you willingly turned yourself in to defend these charges, most of your staff wanted to accompany you, and you said, "No, no, no, you got to stay because you know yeah. we've got to put the show on. Like yeah. that's the most important thing." Because if I didn't come back, so we don't have a show. But if you waste time, I'm going to come back and we have a bad show. So I I I rather have no show than having a very bad show. So I said like this is what we should do, do a good show. It was, that was always on my mind, and this is this was the, the the one thing that was on my mind: how to come every come out every week and perform and do the best job that we can. But eventually, it just became too dangerous, correct? And you you did have to flee. Well, that was later. That yeah, was so tell on, us, uh, that fill was, in those gaps, please. Then. So, um, after the Muslim Brotherhood were, you know, uh, becoming very arrogant and they thought that they can do whatever they want and many people couldn't take the Muslim Brotherhood anymore. So, they asked for any help and the help, of course, came from the one power in the country that was always there, the army. And uh, what is... Uh, what is better than uh, getting rid of an Islamic fascist regime that uh, want to undermine democracy than asking for the help of the army who doesn't even believe in democracy. So um, the army stepped in, people were happy that they got rid of the Muslim Brotherhood. And they were, li- I mean, they were rightly so to be happy. But people don't think had, people thought that the army would just give, I mean, including me. I mean, I was naive myself. I cannot... Uh, I cannot uh, proclaim that I was smarter than many uh, because I was. I felt the pressure, and I and I was worried that they would stop my show and I would face consequences. And, and then the army came, and then in our country, the army is even sacred than religion, mm. and uh, because these are the people who protect us. Mm-hmm. And of course, they came in and they took over. And uh, you cannot dispute the army because if you dispute the army, you are disputing the country. The country and the army is one and the same. Mm. And um, uh, and that was, then it turned into a classical military dictatorship, a very oppressive regime. And 
and because they have been in power for decades, they know how oh, to manage. They're very efficient, yeah. They know they're very efficient doing that. So they will not go and and arrest you. Right. They will not give you this. They will push other people. They will make it seem like a legal battle. And uh, this is what was it. Uh, this is uh, this is how it happened. Uh, my ex. They. <laughs> I'm saying my ex. <laughs> like the uh, the network that I was used to work with. We had an arbitration case and. Strangely enough, they won. Mm. Although they are the one who axed my show, and I found myself owing them a hundred million pounds, which is at that time fifteen million dollars. Of course, they know that I don't have that money, and of course, it was a political decision. And uh, I saw through through the decision. It was something that would make me either be put on a no-fly list, or yeah. arrested, or have all my belongings confiscated. So. <laughs> I just wrote off all my belongings to some other other people, other people, and just and I flee the country. Yeah, and you're now in the states. Yes, in and Los Angeles. So I often interview folks who have achieved a very high level of success in another discipline, and for whatever reason, they decide that they would like to write a book. And I'm always curious what drives that motivation, because as as we know, as I truly believe, writing a book is a very singular and difficult um, activity. So what led you to want to write a book? I wanted to write my story because this is what I have. I, I don't know if I'm going to be successful or not. I don't know if the best days, my best days are behind me. But in an era where everything is skewed and and there's too many sides of the truth. I wanted to write my story, the things that nobody knew, the behind the scenes of what I had to go through. Even if my daughter just yeah read it, maybe this is what I would give to my offspring. So if somebody else come and tell them a certain story about me that it's not true, they would go to go back to my story. So maybe this is something. Maybe this is my message to my children. Mm -hmm. I, maybe I was writing that for my children. And did you work with a co-writer? What was the process of, of actually writing it? So uh, they gave me four months to finish the first uh, draft. And I uh, and they asked me for 80,000 words. And I came back with 120,000. In four months? In four months. <laughs> how did you manage that? What, did you, how, what was your process? I was, I was writing. I was just writing. I, I said, I'm going to write between 1,000 and 3,000 words a day. It doesn't matter if it's good or not. I'm just going to write everything. Yeah, you're just going to sort of vomit this, it out. The, yeah, I was just that was like word, my word vomit. And yeah. I just like dumped it yeah. on my editor here in uh, Day Street, uh, HarperCollins. And um, uh, he came back with huge edits and cuts. And then uh, I, uh, that was the first edit. This, we, we went back and forth like three or four times. And there were always questions. All right, can you elaborate on this one? I think this one is repetitive. Can this one is a little bit dry? Can you So it was I was guided by the editor in what to do. And then as we approached the uh, publication uh, the, uh, like publishing the book, uh, the date of the publishing the book, I Trump was rising. So I started to add stuff in the book that paralleled yeah. what was happening in my country. Yeah, and it was it was also a, 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 like a work in progress because there was something happening in Egypt and there's something happening Every in the, the states. So I was I added that as we went. What do you what do you find 
the most absurd aspect of being published? The fact that people uh, think that I am a real author. You are a real author. If you sat down and wrote 120,000 words in four months, that, yeah. that, that qualifies. I don't know. I, I do. Well, here's, here's what I, I found it very daunting and scary. I wrote this book in my second language. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even yes. think of that. Oh, hey, you didn't notice the accent? I noticed the accent, but I didn't even think of the double challenge of <laughs> writing English. Yeah, so having to write it in English, in English references, to make a joke in English, to make it yeah. appealing. And because this book is not written for Middle Easterns. Yeah. The, the, um, this, is, this book is written to the Western audience. I, I explain stuff that are basically second nature for Middle Easterners and Arabs and Muslims. But I take you from you the beginning. It's yep. like, all right, this is what they call this, and this is how it goes. And you do it very lightly. You never made me feel like, oh, shoot, I, I should have already known that, or I, I, I'm stupid for not knowing it. I, and it was very, five yeah. stars, five stars. You're just saying that because I'm you're not just saying you're it. just saying that because this is HarperCollins podcast. No, I'm not just saying that. You're being too nice. I think that you were very deft in because there are parts of it where I think, oh, I'd forgotten that, and now I'm remembering it. But there were a lot more that I was like, I never even knew this, and I'm glad to now know it. What do you think of your cover? How did that process go? That was a fight. Okay, yeah, tell me that about that. That was a big fight. It, it often is. That was a big, 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 big fight. I mean, I was furious. So first of all, I'm the one who came up with the cover. You know what? You should get all the credit then. No, I, no, I, 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 I came up with the idea of the cover, right? And, I said, and I actually, I asked a, a friend of mine in Egypt to design the cover like this. And I sent it to them and they added touches. And then a few weeks before the publication, they said, well, we have this big, huge bookstore. Uh, yeah, who, and the buyer decided that they didn't like the cover. And they don't like the And then, all right, yeah. so what's the cover? They have? And they sent me this horrible, horrible It's not cover. the cover that we have now, is it? No, no, no. And then when you are faced with like a, a cover, like, <laughs> like one of the big publishers, so this... Oh yeah, okay. I mean, seriously. I, yeah. <laughs> seriously, this is what they. He's proposed. holding up a, a, a not very good cover on his phone. Yes, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's just like it's 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 gibberish. Yeah, that, that was not good. So what happened next? And then I said, well, I, and of course I I'm new to this and this big buyer or bookstore. I mean, you know, who am I to? So, you know, I said, like, well, from our experience, this cover will sell better. And I said, but this is a horrible cover. And then, all right. So I said, okay. So send me other suggestions. And they, and they were sending me suggestions that I, I hated. I hated all of them. So, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it. And, and I'm the outsider, the guy who's come from outside. Who, who, and, I said, and I was thinking, well, if the book doesn't sell, it's because of the cover. It's going to be all on you. And... Uh, so I stood my ground, and it is the cover that is right now. And we're going to take a picture of you and the yes. cover. And as and soon the, as we're done. and the cover means something. That satire is always yeah. locked between two yeah, extremes. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are they are not against each other. Right. They complement each other. They the, the the fascist the religious fascist regimes and the military fascist regime they complement each other. They're not at war at each other at all. Very good point. 
Revolution for Dummies Laughing Through the Arab Spring is on sale, and it's from Day Street Books, and it's available wherever books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you have, that you'll subscribe. To do so, you just go to your podcast app, search for Harper Audio Presents, and click subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a conversation of publisher plus author plus microphone.